Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Dose of Liberty. We are joined, as always, by Tammy. Hello. We are joined by Bruna, as Hello, always. Fellow libertarians. And this week we have a very, very special guest. Drumroll, please, because we are joined by literally the person that has made this whole enterprise possible. We are joined by Mr. Simon Gibbs, Mr. Libertarian Home himself. Hello, Simon. Welcome. Uh, hello and welcome to my home. Well, thank you very much. So, please follow us on Twitter at Dose of Liberty UK and also find us on Facebook at Dose of Liberty. Right, so this week we're going to talk about something that's pretty unavoidable, I guess, for a group of libertarians, which we're going to be talking about the mass shooting in America that happened in Florida, unfortunately. And we're going to be talking about gun rights and some of the issues surrounding gun control in America. So, for me, some libertarians that I meet kind of come into different categories. You tend to find the ones that are really, really interested in guns and firearms. And then there are the ones that are maybe not so interested in guns and firearms. So in my experience, the people that are interested in firearms know their stuff about firearms. And that's like the number one issue for them. Whereas for me, it obviously I have an opinion on it, but I'm by no means an expert on it. I've personally never held a gun before. I have the motor skills of a seven-year-old. I don't know if I would ever really trust myself with a dangerous weapon, but some people really, really do know their stuff about it. And obviously, as libertarians, we tend to differ from the establishment narrative surrounding firearms. So I know, Bruno, that you wanted to talk a little bit about the way that it works in Brazil and some of the statistics around that. And if we start off maybe with that, then we can maybe use that to talk about America, perhaps. Yeah. Well, if I can just make a small addendum, addendum here, is that you operate an, um, a dangerous weapon every day, Jordan. If you drive, you actually have a lot more motor skills than you give yourself credit for. And, you know, operating a gun is pretty simple compared to a car, and it can kill pretty much the same if you compare the numbers of you know terrorist attacks that we we mm-hmm. seen lately. Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not that different. It's just the intent really. Yeah. That you can put into it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, if you look into the raw numbers, you can find that there are countries with high gun control, meaning that you can't easily get a hold of a gun, and high violence, and you get the opposite, high gun control and low violence. So I think it's very simplistic to equate, like to to try and put things together like this and try to explain this phenomenon using this this method. It, it doesn't look right to me because in Brazil we have deaths by guns every day to the same amount as people who got killed in the uh, the last mass shooting. So you almost have like a mass shooting every day in Brazil. Yeah, but it's spread around the country. It's not like one single event that gets a lot of media, but it's spread all around. So I I think it's a cultural uh, issue, not Mm. like a gun control issue. So where do you guys stand then? Because that's an interesting point. Where do you guys stand on that issue of safety? Because like one of the things that I think has really separated this issue of mass shooting some other ones is this this mass shooting in florida has gotten a lot of political traction i saw the videos on the news of like coach loads of students 
going to the state capital of Florida, Tallahassee, to try and change the law around gun control, to try and get more restrictions. So where do you guys stand on that? As I said, I am not someone who is a particular enthusiast about firearms, about guns. I mean, I can kind of, I can discuss it, but I know that some libertarians really do have strong opinions on that. Can anyone explain to me why keeping or why having lax gun laws is a good thing? Can anyone perhaps explain that to me? Because every single time we have a mass shooting, we have a situation where people come out and saying, you know, my Facebook feed fills up with, well, these countries have strict gun controls, these countries have lax gun controls, and those countries have more shootings. Sam, could you maybe explain why it isn't that simple? I can certainly explain why I think having um, permissive gun controls uh, is a good thing. Um, <clears throat> that is um, permission to own a gun. Um, it, it, there's really two key reasons which I think are, are knockout reasons. Um, very difficult to argue against. Uh, one is self-defense, um, kind of the simplest one, um, because I think that fundamentally we have a right to life. Um, you know, we have there's, there's no more fundamental right than that. You, you cannot say to someone, you know, no, no, you've no right to life. And if you have a right to life, then I think you you have a corollary right, which is that you have a right to defend your life. Um, and when you say to someone that you have to delegate your self-defense to the government, um, and that, and that there's no exceptions to that, um, then, then I, I don't think that that flies. You you have an absolute right to try and defend yourself, and I think what uh, the role of politics is is to to ensure that you are as able to def to to defend yourself as possible, um, or to have as the best access to to defence as possible, including including your by your own hands. So to say to someone that we're going to restrict the tools that you can choose uh, is is really, um, a, a, it runs in the face of your right to life. Um, and for me, that's that's entirely uh, persuasive and pretty bulletproof because you can't just say to people, well, you have, you have a right to life, but. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, yeah. there is no but. I mean, we have a pretty crazy situation in the UK that, <clears throat> as I said, I'm not a gun enthusiast, even if we had a, you know, a much more liberal attitude to firearms in the UK. I mean, I still probably wouldn't myself own a gun unless I lived sort of in the country or something. But we have an almost crazy situation that in the UK, if someone breaks into your house, it is illegal to essentially defend yourself. If someone breaks into your house in Britain, then the correct procedure is that you call the police and you wait for them to turn up because chances are, if you try and defend your home with physical force, then you are going to end up getting prosecuted yourself, which is almost like the craziest, most counterintuitive way of doing things. And it's this whole idea of, we should just trust the state to do it. The state protects us. The state keeps us safe. And I think one of the things that should come into this debate is this idea of, people believe that the state keeps us 100% safe, right? And it's the idea that we, by the social contract, farm out our ability. We essentially contract out our ability to defend ourselves. It's much better for us if we let the police and if we let the government defend us, because if we try and defend ourselves against each other, it's just going to be chaos. It's just going to be war. 
And I think it's this, it's, we're going to have to work really, really hard to persuade people that having the right to defend yourself is not the same as everyone attacking each other. Having the right to defend yourself is not the does not mean that it's just going to be chaos on the streets and people are going to kind of walk around with weapons and attacking each other. Because even I don't want the situation where people are walking around Tesco's with uh, assault rifles, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I personally don't want that. I, I don't want to live in a society where people feel that they have to walk around with weapons to potentially kill each other, right? But we also have an issue of, it is, seems to be believed at the moment that we just need to hand over the power to defend ourselves to the state agencies. Yeah, and, and I think people don't uh, think about the consequences of what they want because they hope and they wish for the government to take care of that and to protect everyone at all times. But what does it take for the government to actually do that? Right? It, you you need a, a police force that is present everywhere all the time. Like, yeah, how, how would that work? It's like choosing not to have a fire extinguisher at home because you can call the firefighter and take on a fire. <laughs> That's a brilliant analogy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And um, in regards to gun laws and um, gun crime, London saw, I think, a 44% rise in gun-related crime in the past three years, if I'm not mistaken. 2017, 2014, that's according to the mayor's um, own website uh and that's that says a lot it's a a country with a very very strict gun policy and people here are very blindsided in regards to guns and the gun crime um scene let's say that and that that's on the rise and we still have people who say we don't need guns the uk is a gun-free zone and we have no crime yeah well to come in on that um, it's interesting that we carried um an article um, from a chap called uh, Stefan, um, who's a campaigner in, in Switzerland, and he noticed a similar effect after reforms that kicked in in 1999. Is he Swiss? In, uh, I believe he was Swiss, yes. Right. Um, so he's campaigning in Switzerland. Um, and so there was a reform there, and this was a reform, interestingly, for the broader state of the debate, it was a reform on private gun ownership in Switzerland. We talk about state-issued guns a lot in Switzerland. This was, this was about privately bought guns. And uh, it was a change to the ability of people to carry their guns. Kicked in 1999, uh, became much more like the UK, much more like other European countries. Um, guns were taken off the street. Kind and, of pandering to the EU as well, wasn't it? Um, yes, it was, it, was, it was in order to comply with the EU rules um, on Schengen. Um, and violent crime ticked up by something like 15% in one year. Really? Day. Yeah. Yeah, and that effect kicked in after immigration had started coming into the country as well. So it wasn't all about, you know, escapees from Yugoslavia and what have you who, who might have a greater propensity to violence, mm. perhaps. Um, so it wasn't all to do with that. Mm. It was it was kicking in. The timing was was with the reform. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I really hate about this whole gun debate is this supposed simplicity of the issue. You've got kind of one side saying, oh, we just need to get rid of the guns and then all the problems will be gone. But then you've also got people on the other side, like Donald Trump, saying, we just need to give everybody guns and then there's going to be no gun crime, there's going to be no violence. And I think that 
where you where I think libertarianism comes in at its best is it appreciates the complexities and the nuances of society, and it's a way of bringing that forward. I can't stand the kind of black and white simplicity of the way that this debate is framed. I mean, for example, I went to a talk recently and the fellow was talking about how in the Czech Republic and in New Zealand, they essentially have the exact same gun laws as they do in the USA. However, they have none of the violent issues that they have in America, despite the fact they've got the same law, similar laws about uh, guns. So is there actually a lot of guns on the street in those places? Uh, I believe that... Or is in, it permitted for there to be the guns? Yeah, the yeah, I think it's more that it's permitted, but they don't seem to have that the kind of violent homicide culture. I mean, if you look at the countries in the world, I think like you guys were saying at the start, Bruno mm. and Tammy, that the countries that have the biggest amount of shootings have some of the most repressive gun laws mm-hmm. in the world. And where you tend to find these mass shootings in America, or where you seem to have the biggest amount of gun crime in America is in states that have the most gun regulations. I mean, you get most of the shootings in America tend to happen in inner city places, in states that have restrictive gun laws. Like, when was the last time you heard of mass murders kind of in somewhere in rural Texas or Wisconsin? Exactly. You don't, because that's why they have the most guns per capita. But that's, yeah, that's no, because... because. Yeah, because well, they well, have potentially. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. But if you think about it, if you want to cause the most disturbance with an attack or, you know, a suicide that follows a, an attack, which is the case of most of the um, school shooters, they want to shoot as many people as possible and then kill themselves to have some sort of recognition and, you know, their names will be yeah. in the newspapers as, you know, the... the I don't, I don't even know what they want to be, really, but they just have this revenge on society. It's almost like so a reverse what would you choose? yeah. Would you choose somewhere where someone can shoot you dead in within five seconds after you pull out your gun? You, you might get to shoot some people, mm. but you get killed pretty quickly. Mm. Or will you go to a gun-free zone? Yeah, and that, nobody wants to talk about the psychological, complex social reasons why these mass shootings are happening. I saw a chart relatively recently in The uh, Economist that said that overall in the USA, homicide by firearm is decreasing. So, right, they have a decreasing amount of homicide by firearm. However, the amount of mass shootings is on the increase. So, on paper, people are seeing headlines about mass shootings by these kind of suicidal gun, gun people. And people think, oh, well, the homicide rate is increasing, but actually it's not, it's going down. So it's also about honest reporting as well. Yeah, I think this is an interesting phenomenon because it it looks like uh, airplanes and cars to me. It's like an airplane falls and it's all over the news. It's like, oh, X people died in an airplane crash. But if you really look into the data, people die a lot more just with cars. Um, We have to be careful about how things are covered in the press as well, because there is this infamous bit of fake news going around about 18 mass shootings. Oh, yes. Um, And, you know, the reason those weren't in the news um, is, of course, because they weren't mass shootings. They were an accidental discharge. There were suicides counted. There were suicides in school parking lots. There were accidental discharges which hurt nobody. Uh, A good proportion of those mass shootings, there were zero injuries. It's remarkable. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how many murders were accounted for in those 18 mass shootings. I think it was very few. 
Yeah. I mean, the at the end of the day, <clears throat> a gun is a tool. Yeah. A gun is an inanimate object that someone can either use for good or they can use for bad. People, again, they don't want to have that conversation about why that person picked up that gun. They just assume, ah, oh, well, the gun is the reason they did it. They saw the gun, they're putting the one before the other. They're saying, well, because they had a gun, they were then able, they somehow grabbed hold of the gun and thought, I'm going to use this to shoot up the school. Whereas people don't seem to connect the idea that they, the gun is just a tool. They use it to carry it out. Yeah, I think that we need to think about what it says about the school system in the U.S. as well. Because mm. these, these shootings are happening in schools. What is driving these teenagers to commit this kind of crime? I wonder if anyone uh, in the group happens to know whether they are uh, happening in public schools or private they schools. They are public schools. Exclusively? I believe so. I'm not sure. I haven't heard of a, a, a private school shooting yeah. today. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'm not I mean, saying they don't exist, but I haven't heard of any big ones yeah. anyways. Answers in the comments. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, this week there's been a lot of media hype about Stephen Pinker's new book, Enlightenment Now, and he has attracted a lot of criticism because he's saying that actually the world is getting better. And one of the reasons why, so why don't people think that the world is getting better? Why is that a controversial thing to say? Well, one of the reasons is that, like you were saying earlier, Bruno, about planes. Every time a plane takes off and touches down successfully, it's not in the papers. Every time someone leaves their house uh, to go to a rifle range, there's not a headline saying, well, hey, they managed to get to the rifle range without shooting somebody dead. And because when it goes horribly wrong, we do hear about it. People forget about the... I wanted to come in for one other reason. Um, because I, right at the beginning, I said there are two fundamental reasons why it's a good thing to have permissive gun laws. Um, one uh, was self-defense and we've talked about that but the other is is to act as a break on tyranny um, so uh, uh, here's a little thought experiment let's say that Donald Trump bans guns really successfully and he does it tomorrow so he's still in the first half of his presidency right so he takes all the guns off the street privately owned guns all of them the police still have guns the army still have guns there's no private gun ownership he does it by magic. It's really successful. How would you feel about that if you were Latino yeah. and you were living in America? So you now have no access to private defense, none yeah. at all, and Donald Trump is your president. Yeah, let's exactly. not forget that Hitler was a big advocate for gun um, control. Yeah, yeah. I think we just ticked a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something yeah. is a rule or something. Oh, yeah, got yeah. Into the... <laughs> literally Hitler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've hit the Donald Trump one. We've hit the Hitler one. We just need to. Uh, yeah, we, we just need. To... So I've got some interesting stats. Uh, the odds of being struck by lightning are one in seven hundred thousand. The odds of a student in the U.S. being killed at a school in a school is uh, one in two million seven hundred thousand. Wow. So you have a lot more chance of being struck by lightning than wow. being shot at school. Yeah. Also, um, it is uh, obvious that uh, private schools are safer, but basically you are twice as exposed to being a crime victim in a public school rather than in a private school. Yeah. So that says a lot Across about... Across all crime. Sorry? Across all crime. Yes. So and I think that says a lot about education in the U.S. as a, as a whole, 
um, the whole system is very hollow in in matters of actually teaching kids how to think or how to be um, even citizens even though I don't agree with that idea they don't they don't learn for life they learn how to pass tests and I think that pressure and that lack of um, teaching values and purpose has been reflecting in these mass shootings perhaps yeah I mean the the whole issue of gun control is is an interesting one for, for two reasons for a us in the UK. The first reason is that gun control tends to be an issue where libertarians diverge radically from accepted general opinion, right? So this idea that we should not take the guns off everyone because of various things that are happening in the media does tend to diverge from the kind of accepted narrative around guns. The second reason is that because of the mass shootings in America, and the whole issues around American gun control, we kind of become very focused on the USA, whereas we tend to not focus on what's going on here in the UK. And I think in terms of libertarianism, that is something I find generally. You tend to find a lot of British libertarians don't realise that there is a UK libertarian movement. They don't realise that there actually is something to get involved in. And one thing I'm really passionate about is not just talking about ideas and just kind of discussing things kind of ad infinitum. I'm really passionate about getting people involved in the libertarian movement here in the UK. And I know that, Simon, that's something you're passionate about. I know that's something we're all... The reason we're here is because that's something passionate about. And it's kind of reaching out to British libertarians and seeing what we can do to build the movement here, essentially. So, again, what, Simon, do you feel is a constructive, what do you think is something that could perhaps grow the libertarian movement here in Britain? What, as someone who has spent, what, the past, is it five years, six years, running Libertarian Home? And I don't know if you And as a member of the party before that, is Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, that's even longer for you. What do you think is potentially, or a question I ask myself quite a lot, is why is the libertarian movement in the UK not bigger? Because so many people I speak to are interested in politics. They have an understanding of what libertarianism is, but to read the newspapers, to read blogs and columns in in magazines, you'd think that the libertarianism in the UK is essentially non-existent. So why why for you? Why do you think that is? I apologise to ask an awkward question. (laughs) Right. Why is it not bigger? Um, well, it's worth remembering that it's not that big in the United States either. No, no. It's not massive. Is um, it the biggest party, though? Yeah. That's quite by quite some way, though. Yeah, I think they're further behind than, say, the Lib Dems are. Oh, really? I think so. Right, I, I okay. don't think they're achieving... Because the Lib Dems are like 8 10% of the vote. Oh, right, like okay, that. yeah. But the, the, the uh, Liberal Democrats, certainly the presidential candidates, you're talking much lower. Yeah, yeah. Vote. Okay. Um, I think. Um Gosh, I almost sounded informed. Um, pretty unsure about all that. Um, so I think for me, with with you know, I, I self-label as an, object, as an objectivist. I think there are some objectivists who would object to my self-labeling as an objectivist. But oh, never really? mind. Well, that's another question. Yeah. Um, that's even more complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe but, um, another day, another day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, being educated on on brandy and ethics, I. I I'm sold on the idea that um, a lot of it comes from the underlying cultural expectations about um, what politics is for. Yeah. So your your basic ethical construct is that 
the, the most virtuous thing uh, or the virtuous thing is to is to serve uh, your community and to to sacrifice on behalf of others, um, which tends to support support uh, proactively interventionist agenda uh, into the lives of others, uh, rather than uh, an agenda that's tolerant of self interest or supportive of self interest. I regard libertarians as supportive of self interest and objectivists as, as promoting self interest. That's the difference. Um, so, so the so the underlying ethical zeitgeist uh, works in favour of the opposition, right? Okay. Massively, yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's and that's huge, yeah. So to to be tolerant, even just tolerant, uh, or, or rather than you know, actively supportive of, of self interest, is is radically radically different. So yeah. you're, you're you're from a very deep place, going in a very different direction, and you're going to be. Um, Automatically having an opinion which yeah. is, is radically divergent from your neighbours. I mean, even, so it's a very hard thing to be a libertarian at all. Yeah, I mean, even as someone who <clears throat> is not uh, an objectivist, I can definitely identify with that. In that, it seems like the whole point of politics is to do two things. It's like you you're either a polit- you're either into politics because you want something, you want something to be done which tends to mean you want more legislation passed or you want a certain law to go through or you want a certain group of people to have more rights. So it seems that to go into politics is to want something from the government. And the second reason is that you go into politics because you're, you ident- you want your group, you want your community, you, you do it for sort of communal reasons. And libertarianism seems to kind of go against those two things because you're first of all saying... Well, I don't want anything. It's like you get to there. It's like you become politi- you become political, and you start to think, "Well, I don't want anything to happen. I don't want. I, I don't want anything new. In fact, I kind of want to reduce the size of the government, which seems counterintuitive. And also, you're saying that, well, I'm not here to big up the group. I'm not here to big up, you know, my class or race or whatever. I'm here to be an individual." Which again seems to go against the whole idea of becoming politic political in the first place. Yes, um, I think that in the UK people are in the stuck in the middle. Yeah. Um, bit because it's it's not amazingly good as in a perfect utopic society and you know services and all that, but at the same time it's not as bad as in Brazil, where you have to become involved with politics because it's affecting you directly in such a strong manner that you you will have to have an opinion. There is absolutely no way that you have no opinion on your cousin being shot at 11 p.m. at his doorstep. So I think that's that's one, one of the reasons that the UK population is not as involved with politics as they could be. is because things are going okay-ish. So you don't have... You can choose to just ignore politics altogether. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. Is that now I stand willing to draw criticism to myself here. Now, even as an anarcho-capitalist, I think it's fair to say that compared to lots of other governments in the world, the UK government is runs fairly well in that there is not in Britain a danger of the government being overruled by some warlord who's going to accumulate power for himself and distribute it among his cronies. That, that's not something that has happened in Britain for a very long time. That our public services in Britain are becoming pretty bad, but overall they run fairly well. 
our public servants in the UK are, compared to what we see in lots of other countries, fairly competent and pretty good at what they do. So we have a challenge in a kind of perverse way in Britain in that there's not a demand to kind of get rid of the state because the state works sort of pretty well. And I think persuading people that libertarianism or more freedom is the way to go is not necessarily the task of, well, the government's rubbish, let's get rid of it. It's a task of saying, well, actually, private institutions, free institutions can do this just as well, if not better. Definitely. And that is the challenge. And it would be more moral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this this is the main point, right? It's not about doing what works, it's about doing what's right. Yes, exactly, exactly. So just to finish off then, I am going to kind of pass over to you, Simon. If you're a British libertarian listening to this podcast, what is some of the things that you can do (coughs) to get involved? What are some of the things that you can do as a British libertarian to help grow the movement, make it bigger, and just kind of generally make things happen, essentially? Okay, so um, I'm going to borrow an answer from someone else, and, and, and if I've got time, um, answer my own part as well. Um, so I think to be um, a libertarian and to be a, an obviously nice person, to try in your life to put those two things together uh, is incredibly powerful. Uh, to be open about your views, I take, I, I, that takes a surprising amount of bravery, but I think it's something that needs to be done. To be visibly a libertarian and visibly a nice person at the same time, uh, that sounds really, really simple, but actually, I, I think in practice, <laughs> it's really, really hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of um, thinking of kind of my own projects and my own agenda, um, come to Libertarian Home, come to the meetups, yeah, um, and be prepared to uh, contribute to um, the the Libertarian institutions around you, uh, of which uh, Libertarian Home is the one that I want you to choose to contribute yeah. to. Yeah, so how can um, people so, do that? So um, we need a lot of writing done. So we need Libertarian Home to be a hub at which people can come to and they can see everything that's going on in uh, the Libertarian community in the UK. So we need reports from events. We need people to summarise exactly what was said. Well, not exactly what was said, but to give an impression of what's, what ideas are being put forward right. and how they're being received. Um, uh, go and video events um, or if you can't if you, if you don't want to do video and you just want to do writing I can give you videos um, that you can kind of write up so you don't even have to go to the event you can contribute from your from your home and, and think in terms of um, strategy it's particularly around persuading people persuading people who aren't uh, that interested in politics maybe um and persuading people around the transitional arrangement. Right. So, there's a, so there's a lot of work to be done. We know our end state, but there's a lot of work to be done around transition and getting from the particular policies that we have in the UK now to a particular outcome uh, that is more libertarian than that. Uh, yeah. So I think they're, they're good focus areas. Um, uh, and in terms of the detail of that, I've written some good blog posts around... or a, 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 well, I did a talk which was written up uh, called Marketable Ethical Libertarian Policies, uh, which are the names of four constraints on on what you might choose to do. And I think the more you the more you do those things rather than other things, the better. The more marketable, the more libertarian. Don't compromise and go and promote things that aren't fundamentally libertarian, like minimum incomes and stuff. 
Um, <laughs> that's not a swipe at anyone. Not a swipe at anyone. Know, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> don't um, do anything that's not libertarian. Make sure it's marketable. Make sure it's ethical. Um, and and policy really is, I think, where it's at. Policy design, designing actual policies for this country for a particular libertarian end state. Yeah. So the more, if you look at that as a big Venn diagram with lots of different circles in it, the more towards the middle you are, the better. Yeah, and I think as well, one of the big things for me is just think of libertarianism in the UK as a movement. What we have at the moment is we seem to have lots of individual people doing their thing and they don't communicate with each other. They just kind of want to do their thing. They want to do what they're doing and they kind of don't seem to understand or they don't seem to be aware that there are lots of other people around them that potentially want to kind of get in on the action. I think thinking of ourselves as a movement and talking to each other and communicating with each other is a really, really powerful thing that British libertarians need to do in order to grow. So, yeah, and another thing is to be an example. Yeah. Right? Because the, the main issue I have with politics is that it's trying to change society as a blob, as a thing that doesn't actually exist. Yeah. Right? It's just a result of the individual's actions. So... If you are a good individual and if you are a good force in that society and you can get more people to be good individuals in that society, you will end up with a better result. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, well, thank you very much for listening to our fourth episode of Dose of Liberty. Please, please, please follow us on Twitter. Please find us on Facebook and please do come and visit us at libertarianhome.co.uk if you want to get involved if you want to kind of do something to make a difference please get in touch with us on any of those platforms look forward to hearing you from you thank you very much goodbye